Hi, everyone. My name is Matt Francis. I'm the creator of the Bookshelf mobile app and the Made With Matt YouTube channel. Welcome to the MongoDB podcast. Welcome to the show. My name is Shane McAllister, and we're always glad to have you tune in and listen. Shortly, as you've just heard, we'll hear from this week's guest, Matt Francis, who'll join us to talk about his pathway into development and how he built an iOS app both to learn and also to open doors into his career. But first, here's a quick message from none other than Mike Lynn. Did you know that MongoDB University has been completely redesigned from the ground up? Hands-on labs and quizzes, bite-sized video lectures, learn at your own pace, study guides and materials, 100% free access to MongoDB training. You can start today. Visit mongodb.link learn. Thanks, Mike. We'll hear from Matt a little later on in the show. But before that, we'd like to try something new. What we're trying to do now in a new segment, which is a bit of a, a departure for us, is to highlight what the entire MongoDB developer relations team are doing. Each week in the podcast, we have a guest on board and we spend a long time looking at what they're doing and understanding what they're doing. But MongoDB has a huge developer advocacy team and we're globally uh, spread out. We have main outlets across different areas, predominantly our developer center, but we're also doing events all the time. And we're also on YouTube live streaming and doing webinars. So I wanted to bring on board Megan Grant and Megan is on the developer advocacy team and she publishes every Friday on the dev.2 platform MongoDB's weekly update. And it's a wealth of information. We're going to bring some of that information into this podcast. Megan, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me on. It must be really hard to keep track of what everybody's doing, but you do a superb job at it. Let's dive into our developer center. MongoDB's developer center is content written by developers for developers, and we publish as often as we can. Tell us a little bit about what our team have been writing on the Developer Center in the last week or so. Awesome. Okay, so most recently, we were actually working alongside Google Cloud on a little bit of a collaboration. So if you head over to Developer Center, you're going to see some recent content on how you can stream data from MongoDB to BigQuery using Confluent connectors. And if for any reason that's not your jam or up your alley, we have all sorts of content, articles, tutorials, covering a variety of languages. So we always have something for everybody. Yeah, and and it is, as you said, something that we contribute to consistently. And the new developer center, which is, I don't know how many months old now, Megan, but it's it's super easy to search because you can drop in and just put in a search query or you can go in and and pick the language of your choice or the cloud partner of your choice or the platform of your choice and see all of the content that we've written for that. Yeah, and what's nice about it is that we we try to cater to all sorts of learners. So if you want to sit down and read a very in-depth, detailed piece of content, we've got lots of long-form content. If you're just looking for a quick how-to or even a code block that you just want to copy and use yourself, we've got that as well. So all types of content. Jump over to mongodb.com forward slash developer, and that will drop you straight into our developer center. The other thing, as I said, we've got a global team, and I'm amazed of how global this team is. And I think when I see the lineup of events that our team are doing, it reinforces that we're pretty much everywhere. We have a lot forthcoming, certainly in the month of February. We do meetup groups, MongoDB mugs. Uh, tell me, where are they on and kind of roughly the dates? Absolutely. So our uh, mugs, our MongoDB user groups, they happen 
just about every month all over the globe. Coming up in February, we'll be in Chicago and Lebanon, Munich, Dallas, all over the world. And we also have some of our developer advocates heading to PHP UK and Confu and Angular India as well. So it's going to be a very busy month. The mugs are awesome because, you know, it's so much of what we do is virtual. So when we have these local events, and like we just had one in Dublin that was hosted by Henna from our community team, and it was an amazing turnout. Everyone had a great time. So especially if you're working remotely, the mugs are an amazing opportunity to kind of meet like-minded people and learn more about MongoDB. And the mugs are all free to attend. Usually there's pizza and refreshments, etc. as well too. So whilst you're learning for a couple of hours and we've got superb presenters, you're also being fed and entertained as well too. So let's try and check them out. Where would somebody go to to find out if there is a mug in their area? Is it on our events page on our website? Everything's on the events calendar or you can always see what's upcoming if you want to see the weekly update. Everything is linked to within the, the dev.2 article and you can see where exactly it's located, when the topics that are going to be covered and you can find one that's in your area. If we don't have a meetup group in your area, there's still an opportunity somewhat virtually to see some of our developer relations team because they're always streaming on YouTube and and putting live streams, webinars, and and recordings that they do up there. So what have we produced in the last week? Our YouTube channel stays very busy. So um, if you want, you know, regular, like long-form content, uh, and you head to our channel, some of our more more recent videos. We've got one from Nick, who's one of our developer advocates, and he will tell you how to use Go and MongoDB in an AWS Lambda function. And what I love about, you know, the videos that our advocates come up with, they always, you know, inject their own personality and their own experiences. So these videos are really fun and engaging. We've gotten such amazing feedback on them. Or if you're short on time, or you just happen to learn better with quick snippets. You have to go to the shorts tab because YouTube separated these videos out, but we have lots of shorts. Most recently, our advocates, Diego and Luce, created some content around Compass and BS code extensions. Yeah, always new content. Okay. And I know you don't want to plug your own video, but Megan, you have a video on data persistence. Tell us a little bit more about that. (laughs) It's been a journey. I wrote an article on it. I have to give a shout out to Dominic because couldn't have done it without him. And then I thought, <laughs> what the heck? I spent all this time writing an article. So turned it into a very short video on data persistence. Just kind of a, a quick primer on it if it's a new Excellent. concept. Well, you. as you said, the, the YouTube channel is always very busy. I think everybody learns in a different way. So the developer center is great for reading and, and long form content and getting stuck into the, the how to's and the tutorials. And as you said, Megan, we can copy blocks of code or go and visit the repo and fork that or um, but YouTube has certainly seen, I know for us, a huge lift in traffic in how developers like to learn. And then the shorts, they're 60 seconds, 90 seconds, as the name says, and they're really entertaining. And I think it's certainly something we'd love everybody to jump on to the MongoDB YouTube channel and subscribe there and, and like and leave some comments because I know the the team as a whole are always looking at their own videos anyway to see anyone asking particular questions. We do take questions back on MongoDB forums as well too, and the developer relations team are there, but YouTube is a another avenue for us as well. So it seems that there's an awful lot going on in our community, which is really great. Megan, thank you for joining me. I hope to chat with you again next week and see what we've been doing in the previous week. Awesome, thank you. We do hope you enjoyed hearing about all the news and updates from our developer relations team here at MongoDB. And many thanks to Megan for joining me. 
we'd hope to make this a regular appearance on the MongaDB podcast. But now, without much further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Matt Francis. Matt, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on board. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and, and give us a little bit of your own background? Cool. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. So my name is Matt. I'm based in Montreal, Canada, born and raised here. Um, I recently graduated in software engineering from Concordia University, also based in Montreal. And now I work full time as a mobile developer at Shopify. Um, so before that, I guess we might get into it uh, with some of the further questions. But uh, before that, I've been working in a couple internships in web and mobile development, um, initially in web development, and then made my way into mobile development. And eventually, my last internship was at Shopify, um, so then returned there full time. But on the side, during my four years of my undergraduate degree, um, and even now working full time, I always tried to have kind of so, some side projects that I was working on, um, which is where Bookshelf came about, um, which we'll get into a bit later. But um, yeah, there was Bookshelf. There was also a YouTube channel that I was working on, uh, which was lots of fun. So kind of educational content on React Native, which helped me learn a lot and also helped me give back to the community, the React Native community, and help tons of people learn some basic stuff as well, which was like pretty impactful and rewarding on my end um, to see that happen. And um, yeah, I guess that's my, my brief intro. Excellent. What's your YouTube channel's name? And we put this into the show notes as well, too, for the podcast. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so YouTube channel's Made with Matt. Yeah, so you're consistent across all platforms. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, exactly. it, it's great to have you on board. I, I love the background. I, I do love the fact that your internship turned into a day job. That's brilliant. I think it's MongoDB runs a, a really, really good internship program. And the whole intent is that we take these students and we immerse them for 10 weeks into life at MongoDB. Essentially, we, we hire a couple of hundred interns each year and we hope the intent is always to get them back the following year for a full-time role so I'm, I'm glad that worked out for you the reason you're joined us about i suppose probably a year ago at this stage we were looking around in the community for people who had developed apps using realm which is mongodb's mobile sdk and we came across your bookshelf app so we jumped on the app store we had a look it looked you know nicely designed very clean worked really well and so tell us a little bit about the inception of Bookshelf. How did you come to build it? Why did you build it? What, what were you trying to fix? Uh, how, did you have an itch to scratch? Or was it helpful learning for you as well, too? Was it something to help you in your own mobile development? Yeah, so it was definitely, so on the per, more personal side, was kind of like I wanted to scratch one of my own, I guess, scratch my own itch, where I was reading lots of physical books at that point. And I was taking notes about them because I'm one of those people that if I read a book, I'll forget about it a couple months later. So these notes were really helping me stay on top of my reading and remember interesting quotes, interesting passages, or for example, if it was books about building apps or business or personal growth or whatever, just tools and tips that I could use in my day to day. But the problem was that I was taking these notes on a bunch of different mediums. So for example, Google Docs, Notion, um, my notes app on my phone, paper, it was a complete mess. I'm exactly the same. It, and I've tried recently to try to consolidate. And, and as you did, you jump around between different apps. And then you, you get something that's shiny, shiny new. So Notion, for example, and everything you can do in there. Yeah. Uh, and then you're lifting and 
shifting your notes from one app into the next, and which feels like work, right? But I, I totally agree. I, I, when I first came across this, it was exactly you know my same views on why this app is important in so far as I have picked up a book and started to read it, and maybe you know a couple of days later going, I think I've read this one already. You know what I mean? You forget. For for me, the yeah. bookshelf app that you put together solves a lot of that problem. So you were scratching your own itch, which is always a good way to go about learning something new. Exactly. And it's great to hear that that it was helping uh, for you as well, or scratching your itch too. Yeah, so going about it to learn, that was the initial kind of uh, reason to go for it. And then I realized, I spoke to a couple of friends, I realized like, oh, maybe some other people have this problem as well. So rather than just building, let's say, a personal app and just having it on test flight, I thought, you know what, might as well release it. But the story for building it, while that is one part of it, it's actually, it's pretty funny. There's a second part to it. I'm all um, ears. That's kind of behind the scenes. So I was going through the Shopify interview process for my internship, and I was interviewing as a mobile developer. And after the first stage, the second part was to showcase an app that you've okay. built and kind of show it during the interview, walk through it, answer some questions, all that. And at that point, I was working on my YouTube channel where it was very front-end front end heavy work um, or apps. So I was focusing on like using Figma to make nice UIs and you know talk about UX and stuff like that, and then converting them to code with React Native. So I didn't have what I guess you could call a full-fledged app, which has front-end, sort of a back-end, and everything in between. And I felt like something like that would be pretty valuable or more impressive to showcase to the company. So I only realized that I need to kind of showcase an app after the first round of interviews, wow. at which point I had around a week and a half. Only a week and a half. Okay. Okay. So how, yeah. how did this work out for you? So the first two or three days, I kind of brainstormed ideas and tried. I mean, I had a list of ideas on my phone already at that point where there were things like problems that I was having that I wanted to like scratch my own itch or whatever it may be, never go around to building them. And this was one of them. And I spoke to some friends and kind of, this was the one that was the most common. So it took two or three days to like think the idea through, figure out technologies I want to use and build out designs on Figma. And then once those were all almost ready, um, I didn't have quite enough time to finish everything. But once they were at a point where I felt confident enough to start building, I jumped into code and spent like 12 to 14 hour days okay. for like the next week, just building this app. And I was also in school at, the, at that point. So school was kind of put on the side for a little bit uh, while I focused on this. And I mean, luckily it turned out turned out uh, good and it worked out. Um, and then I caught up on school and all that afterwards. But yeah, I didn't release the app in the week. I just built it out and then showcased it. And then a couple weeks later, I picked it back up. And then within like a few days or a couple more weeks, I just kind of fine-tuned it. Uh, and then released it to the app store. Okay, and we'll talk a little bit about the tech stack later on. But you mentioned that you had a, a few ideas. What were the other ones that you didn't get around to building in the in the week and a half that you had between these two interviews? Do you remember? Yeah, honestly, I'm having, I don't fully remember. I think one of them was kind of like, which already completely exists. I think one of them was kind of an app to go through. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to remember it as I'm, as I'm saying it. But it was an app to kind of go through like discounts or something and kind of aggregate discounts around you or something. And then from your phone, you could like apply those discounts, stuff like that, which I thought was cool, but it didn't speak to me as much as Bookshelf did or the idea of managing like your books and book notes, which was something that I was 
facing a lot and I kind of I needed a fix too. Obviously the second interview went well and then when you had a bit of time you tried to polish off the app and get it ready for the store. This was obviously your first app getting ready for for the iOS app store. How was that? Was I I've done this before. Um I was an app developer for many years. It's fraught with its own frustrations and idiosyncrasies about submitting to the app store. So tell us about your own experience. Definitely frustrating. Um, <laughs> as you said, so it was a long and frustrating process, which looking back on it, I think there, there's probably easier ways to do it that I hadn't fully considered because it was my first time. So I was learning as I went. And especially nowadays, I think with Expo, it makes it a lot easier to release any app using their EAS mm-hmm, mm-hmm. service, uh, which makes it basically effortless and just kind of one command and your app is 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 you know, sent off the app store getting ready for review. But in terms of kind of the process that I took, since I was using React Native, and I think it's the managed workflow, like the one where there's no Mm -hmm. expo. Uh, Yeah, so I was using the managed workflow. And I used Fastlane for iOS to kind of automate the builds. And in doing so, I ran into tons of errors, which I spent countless hours debugging finally figured them out and then got it released the app store. But I recently kind of reopened the project to kind of see if I could push some updates. And I just ran into so many more errors that kind of made me realize, I think when it comes time to kind of push those updates, I'm just going to be restarting everything on Expo using EAS and calling it a day. I think that'll save me time in the long term. Yeah, I think those uh, those warnings and the little yellow triangles are, can be very off-putting, especially if you haven't <laughs> opened the project for, for a long time. I certainly exactly. used to know that from, you know, there would be cycles of development that you'd go through for clients. And while everything was fine with their app, you would leave it well alone and it would be in the app store. And something would break, you know, an API wouldn't be available anymore or something's deprecated and you'd open up the project with trepidation and and have a look and and hit hit run (laughs) and see what would what would transpire so i i feel your pain there matt totally so you put it up on the app store did you try to market it at all did you try to kind of see how your downloads were or did you just want it up there and organically let's see what happens so a bit of both i'd say more to the side of organically where initially i released it i posted it on my Twitter account, which was, I guess, sort of linked to my YouTube channel. So I had a small audience there, a couple hundred followers. And I had been speaking about it a little bit on my Twitter account, kind of the whole development process with the kind of thought of trying to like build in public and stuff like that. So yeah, released it. I think I got a couple, I guess, clicks from there and a couple downloads, but a lot of it came from organic downloads where I think people were looking up kind of I need a virtual bookshelf or just looking at bookshelf or track books on the app store. Um, and then they were finding it like that, which I found super interesting because I guess I, I didn't really feel the need to do any marketing to get users unless I really wanted to scale the app, which at that point I wasn't looking at. So I did look at the metrics and within the first couple of days, I had a huge spike of downloads, which was really kind of motivating or exciting because I really didn't expect that. I was expecting to release it and it's kind of you know, one of the millions of apps on the <laughs> app store um, where I was kind of thinking, how are people going to find this? And then thinking like, should I start marketing this? Should I not? It depends where I want to take it. And then kind of seeing that spike, it was rewarding for all the work that I yes. put in. And then I kind of followed it along the next couple of weeks and months 
Um, and every day it was getting a couple of downloads. And now, like up till today, I think it's been up for around a year or a year and a half. And it has close to 2,500 downloads. That's very good. In a crowded marketplace with the, no marketing or push and, and the free app market space is enormous as well too and uh, that that's really good congratulations on, on that success i remember back in my day we, we we developed apps for clients all the time but we did a couple of our own apps just to test the water so that we could we could understand exactly what you went through you know i've i've put it up here what are the downloads it was it was almost like a, a nice dopamine hit when you got you know a nice yeah. spike <laughs> in the downloads but then the back of your brain is going why did that happen? What happened? How can I do that again? Where can I get that again, et cetera, as well, too? So uh, I, I don't think I ever got any rhyme or reason for a lot of the test-free apps that we had put up there as well, too. But it it's nice. I think that the one thing, and I know that, that this is not a conversation about app stores in general, but the one thing that we fail to appreciate so much, I think, is that the app stores, both the iOS and, and, and Google Play or Google Console, they're global stores. You can put up your app there and, and you instantly have this global market, which I use, I've been in software for 25 years and, and I used to work in companies where we had CD-ROMs on a box in a shelf in a retail store. So yeah, that was wow. effort. Whereas you deploy to the app store and, you know, within a given period of time and the review being okay on, on Apple side of things and, and Google yeah, they they make it live, but then you could get to taken down later if there's any uh, issues. Um, <laughs> you're globally available. That's brilliant. Where and did you see? Were you looking at the countries of downloads in the time? Where they was it all US or did we, did you go global with with that in those terms of those downloads? Yeah, so it did actually go global, which was super interesting because the app doesn't have localization for the language, which was something I hadn't considered. And kind of seeing the the uh, the data on the app and the downloads made me realize how important things like that are. So most of the downloads are in North America, uh, so Canada and the States, but there are a ton in Europe. There's some in Australia, mm -hmm. India, like it, it's it's pretty spread out, which is super interesting to see. That's brilliant. And global downloads are great. It's a free app. Did you ever have any intent in trying to monetize it either with a paid for app or subscription app? I was definitely thinking of the subscription way of doing it where a lot of the apps out there that are similar um, will either, for example, let you add a couple of books to your bookshelf mm -hmm. and then ask you to pay a monthly subscription or a one-time unlock fee. Or, you know, let's say for apps that also have notes, um, which aren't as common, um, you could, let's say, create three to five notes per book. And then after that, you know, hits you with the paywall. I was considering all of these, but kind of decided that at least the basic features like adding as many books as you want or or as many notes as you want should be free, mainly because at least the way it is right now, everything is stored locally using mm -hmm. Realm. Um, so there's no real need to charge users to pay for any kind of service because, I mean, I'm not spending any money technically on it other than, let's say, the Apple developer program. So... I was thinking this would be a good first step. And then if I were to move forward with this, I would kind of throw in that SaaS model once I migrate from the local Realm DB to the one in the cloud, um, where I forget exactly the term, maybe you correct me, but the, the, the term The for... name changes. Uh, it was Realm Sync back okay. in the 
the time that you were developing yes, it, but it's, that's it's, how I remember it's it. Device Sync now. Atlas Device Sync in, in, with MongoDB is is the new name for for Realm Sync. So we've jumped onto the technical side of it, which is great. And you mentioned Realm as the local database, but tell me about your stack. You mentioned it's a React Native app. What, what's involved and what sort of you're using React Native. What else are you using in that app? And I know that you can search for the books that you have on your bookshelf or that you're looking to read. What's what's that API? What are you using there as well, too? So let us know a little bit about that. So the app itself, in terms of the other packages I'm using, it's pretty simple where I have React Native, Realm, and those are the two biggest things that make everything work properly. Um, and then in terms of actually fetching books, I'm using the Google, Google Books API, okay. which is free to use. There are some caveats to it where kind of some of the books are, I mean, some books are not on it, or um, sometimes you search and you get some kind of weird responses. <laughs> okay. And the book covers are also not the best, I guess, quality, or they're a bit pixelated, or maybe they're not up to date, whatever it may be. Uh, but I mean, it works great for a free API. I really can't complain. Uh, and it's been like amazing to use. It was super easy to get up and running. Yeah, so that's what I'm using to fetch all the books. And then, so once I have, once I've, once the user has searched for a book, then I store kind of all that data in a Realm local database. And that whole setup process with Realm was amazing as Excellent. well. Really easy. Um, there were there were some alternatives that I considered and actually started to work with, which we could dive mm -hmm. into. That would be interesting. Uh, but I ended up going with because Realm. Because obviously, look, Realm, it's an open source, the... The local storage SDKs doesn't involve anything. You can go and download it off our repos. And generally, as I said at the very beginning of this, we found you by you know having a bit of a search out there, came across, I think, a video or an article or something that you'd written with Realm and, and got in touch. But generally, because of that uh, distance between you're able to get the SDKs off, off our repos up on GitHub, we don't necessarily know what developers are doing uh, with Realm, unless we've interacted with them either by finding their apps or by meeting them at events or having them join webinars or, or join our forums and ask questions. So you had no interaction with the Realm team when deciding what local database to use, and you had alternatives. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the alternative that I initially went with was Watermelon DB, which I think they're still around, which is also like an in-memory SQLite database, I believe. Theirs worked really well. They had great documentation, but once the app was almost fully built, and this was at let's say like day four or five, uh, I'd say day four of, of, of your that very compressed week. time scale to get this <laughs> app built. Exactly. <laughs> um, I ran into an error that I just could not figure out how to fix. And looking on Stack Overflow, GitHub issues, there were other people facing this error. And there were some fixes that people were recommending, but nothing was working on my okay. end. So at that point, it was kind of, I was really in a time crunch where I didn't really have the time to figure this out and dig deep into what the issue is. So I started looking at alternatives after, of course, spending like many hours trying to debug. And Realm came up as one of the alternatives that I hadn't actually seen before finding Watermelon DB. And yeah, the documentation was really great. I saw that they had a whole section dedicated to React mm -hmm. Native, so decided to kind of take that on um, and try to implement it in the app. And so the way I kind of got started with it, um, and this is what I would recommend to anyone as well looking to use Realm or get started with it, was I went through the documentation and you have a sample app in there. 
um, which I think is a uh, to-do yeah, list. Task so tracker. Has, say, yes, like, yeah, task tracker. So yeah, I, I cloned that and I started playing around with it and kind of editing the models and editing like everything about it to kind of make it my own and really understand how Realm works. And then I translated that into my own app where I started with building some helper, uh, some some models, then built some helper functions, for example, like getting all my books, getting all my notes, getting a note for a specific book, all that, all that stuff, and kind of built my own, I guess you'd call it like API, even though there's no backend, it's just, this is technically the backend, which was a couple helper files that go into the database and get the data that I need based on some inputs. You were future-proofing your development there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that whole process was was pretty straightforward okay. and everything worked. There were definitely some issues that I faced, but I mean, all of them or most of them were, I was able to figure out from the GitHub issues or the documentation. I think it, it was also at a strange time for Realm where I think the MongoDB acquisition was going mm, through. It would have been. Um, so it was kind of, there was a bit of, it seemed like there were a few things on the back burner as well, which of course now have all been taken care of. And it's amazing to see now the support for Expo, for mm -hmm, example, mm -hmm. um, which, and, and I was checking as well recently, the um, how you can create kind of like a Expo Realm templated mm -hmm. app, which I think is like, this will help tons of developers get started with Realm. So I think that's that's a fantastic way of onboarding new, new developers. And, to and that's great to hear. And I know that our docs team and you know our product team and the template apps, the, the team behind those as well too, would be delighted to hear that. And I think people have alternatives, as you said, Watermelon DB's loss is, is Realm's gain, right? The, the struggle that you had there was not passed on to a struggle with Realm bar a few things that you had to get sorted out in the end. And I think ultimately to understand how your process was and your experience with it is, is really, really invaluable to our engineers and our team. Too often, you know, we're building the tools that allow you to create these apps, but we're not building the apps ourselves internally. And I think that's one of the things. So to reference the Task Tracker app there that we have in the docs, I know that the team behind that as well, too, are trying to make it easier all of the time for developers just to jump in you know, fork that and 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 just get playing around with it themselves as well too, which is which is superb. And I know they'd be delighted to hear that. So you you spent a few days with Watermelon DB. How long did you have with Realm then to get it up and working? And and this was that was going to be a close call if your second local database wasn't going to run for you, Matt. Yeah, it was a very close call. It was a very stressful couple of days. So I think I mean it was also a couple of days, like I guess three four days working with realm and it kind of it went all the way up till the night before the interview where i was fixing things getting things ready there was one error that kept bugging me and it was very um it was kind of like a flaky error that would come up sometimes when i would run it sometimes it wouldn't and for that one i think i was just hoping it wouldn't show up in the interview <laughs> and then ended up figuring it out after the interview but yeah i mean it was a couple of days Luckily, though, the, the simplicity of the app and like the kind of schema that I was using, which was similar to the task list, made it such that it was really easy to get up and running and to get this database working. And I remember using one of the tools, I forget the name, but it's the desktop app for Realm where you could kind of see your Realm database Studio. from yes, the desktop. Go in and see. Realm Studio, yes, exactly. So I was using that, which was extremely helpful to visualize 
what I was doing, especially as someone who's a very, very visual learner and I understand things very like much better with an interface, it was much easier to kind of see exactly what's going on or where things were going wrong, wrong in my database by using that tool. That is super helpful as well. Uh, so thank you to your engineers as well for building that. <laughs> they, they, again, they'll be delighted to hear that. It is, it's, it's, it's always nice. I mean, you can look in the console logs and you can see what's going on, but Realm Studio allows it to become a little bit more intuitive. Also, you can edit things in Realm Studio that will conversely go back into your app and you can even pull out schemas as yes. well in Realm Studio. And I think it's an invaluable, oft overlooked tool sometimes because it seems so small and insignificant. But I, I, I know in the past developing with Realm, it was very valuable to, to understand the changes that you're making, how they are affecting the local database and, and vice versa. So it's, a, it's great to hear that comments and compliments for that as and, and the team will will snap those up i'm sure they'll take a snippet of this podcast and, and use it internally perhaps as well too so awesome. you had a couple of issues but you didn't at the time need to reach out through forums or anything like that or were you browsing the web for people with similar issues with realm yeah so it was a lot of browsing the web stack overflow and github issues were my best friend at that point and spent a lot of time digging through those and really when I mean, like when I say digging through, I really mean <laughs> going through like deep and going through like all the issues um, because I, I forget exactly what it was, but there was one issue in particular that I was really stuck on, ended up figuring it out. I think that a day or two before I needed to deliver it. Yeah, it, it took a while to go through all the issues and, and everything, but it was interesting to do so because I kind of got to learn a bit more about Realm, how to use it, how to integrate it in my app. And I think I was more of a, like a, a consumer in that in that case okay. rather in that situation rather than a uh, someone who's creating the issues i forget if i did actually create an issue i might have at one point but i'm forgetting now but otherwise i know there were tons of issues or tons of great questions that people had asked that, that were well, I, if i if you did create one i do hope the community got around to responding to it at sometimes i think obviously let me let me call them seasoned developers here within mongodb i i I just don't know how things were done before Stack Overflow and, and forums and things like that. Like, but I, I know, as I said, the seasoned developers will say, a book. You had a book and you went through the book and you learned how to do things properly from first principles, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's great to jump on and, and see. I think there's a light bulb moment when you see somebody has the issue that you've just had. And hopefully, mm -hmm. you know, there's an answer there that's been voted to the top and it fixes your issue as well too and and that's a great relief and it gets you to, to move along most definitely so you're on ios at the moment was there any plans to go to android or go elsewhere as well too yeah so it's it's built for android as well i mean mm. it's react native it works on both i think initially the reason i did not go ahead with it was the tools i was using to build for ios weren't the same as the tools that i would have to use to build on android and being an iPhone user, I wanted something, of course, that first off I could use. So I built it for iOS so that I could play with it. And that process was pretty lengthy and challenging. And at that point, it had taken a couple of weeks and I was kind of like, all right, well, I'm going to use the app for a bit, see if I actually, you know, enjoy it, want to keep using it. And at that point, I'm going to release it on, on uh, Android and then never really got around to it. So that's definitely something that's still on the long list of to-dos that I have for this app, um, where I just keep putting in ideas, which I may get around to, I might not, still haven't figured that out yet, but yeah, that is something that I definitely considered. Uh, and I haven't really looked into the the landscape of uh, the tools that are required for it, but I'm sure it's like, at this point, it's probably a pretty simple process, especially if switching over to Expo. And 
of that little list of features and things you'd like to add, etc., give us a sample of, of what those might be, Matt. And, and I going back to a conversation you and I had previously, whereby, you know, this is, as you said, something that you built as part of your interview process. And then you took it a bit further and you put it up to the stores, but it's not your day job. And you've said that you are open to collaboration on this. And I think above all, it's a really nicely designed app. It's very speedy. It works really well. And it solves that itch of keeping track of what you have in your library to read or what you have read and the notes that you put by. You would be happy to to work with other developers if they if they wanted an interest. And and it probably ties back to your YouTube channel as well, too. You're a developer who wants to share the knowledge and develop within the community and help others. Yeah, definitely. Um, and kind of circling back to what you said right before that, thank you for, for mentioning that about the app. Like, it's great to hear. And yeah, very open to contributors and to working with people on this. Um, so whether you know you work in as a developer in UX, marketing, sales, super interested to kind of start those conversations as a way first off to you know get to know more people in the community and also see you know if anyone has ideas for like cool things that could be done with this app or whatever it may be i think this will be a really interesting kind of sandbox to try those things on since there is already a user base and i don't really take it too seriously in terms of the i guess success you could call it of the app where let's say if we added some monetization and made a bit of money that's great but i mean that's not what's that, that was not the intention sure. of this app when, when first building it, as I mentioned, where it was really uh, for learning first and foremost. And I think I got tons of learning out of it. And, you know, the fact that I was able to impact people and help people since they downloaded and used the app, I think that's just incredible as well. But in terms of future plans, so I did make some redesigns on Figma that I was thinking about kind of releasing. And one of the cool things that I would love to add into it and realize after designing is much more challenging than I thought <laughs> it was and definitely more challenging to build it than design it is building a text editor for the kind of notepad. Um, so similar to the Notion app, or I guess the Notion desktop app, where kind of like you could bold any text, change any text to heading one, two, three, put in a quote, stuff like that. I think that would make it really enjoyable to use kind of the note editor and it'd be more than kind of like a, a basically a static text document so that was one thing that i'd love to kind of incorporate and started like looking into as well trying to find packages or using a web view for getting more technical to to do that but yeah as you mentioned open to contributors and if anyone's interested definitely reach out on twitter send me an email whatever it may be We'll start that conversation. Excellent. I love that. I, I think it's great. I think it's particularly in app development. I think certainly when I was starting out years ago, everybody had an idea for an app. I think it's very much different than, you know, when you're using your laptop, desktop, whatever it is, and you're going to websites, it, that's fine. But whenever you told somebody you were an app developer, they went, oh, I have an idea for this or I have an idea for that. <laughs> and I think it's the Very true. it's the proximity to you. It's the size of the device. It's the fact that you carry it with you all the time. I think initially meant that people thought this was an easy thing to do. It's small. How hard could it be? It's not a website. It's not a big piece of enterprise software. It's got a couple of screens. But the the devil is in the detail there. The simplicity is actually the hard bit, as you said, uh, as well, too. And I think that everybody has ideas. I've met so many people over the years that never acted on them. The fact that you 
okay, I know you had to do this for your interview. As, as you said, you wanted something concrete to show people, but you did it and then you took it beyond that and got it into the stores, I think is, is great kudos to you for that. And I think that if other developers are interested in joining you on this journey, for want of a better word, I think it's a really, really good way to learn because you're not in the sandbox, as you say. You are actually developing on an app that will go into the stores that you have a cohort of two and a half, three thousand users already. And I think that experience in building features and updating is invaluable as opposed to it's all too easy to spend your time in Hello World and, and task tracker samples and things like that. Building something that somebody's using, somebody gets some value out of, is a reward in itself, even if you never go down that monetization route. Tell me a little bit too, Matt, before we come to a close, as a developer in your day job, this podcast is listened to a wide variety of audience. Where do you go to learn and to keep abreast of new technical things and, and new products, frameworks, SDKs? Like, where, like, Is there any particular blogs that are your go-to blogs or podcasts that you listen to? aside from the MongoDB podcast, of course. Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, aside from the MongoDB podcast, as you mentioned, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I like to kind of browse through, I guess, mainly kind of product-focused blogs or websites, as I love kind of seeing what people are creating from kind of a creative standpoint, you know, kind of what, what apps people are coming up with, more so than the technical deep dive. So Product Hunt okay. is awesome. Um, there's so many interesting. It's a rabbit hole. You can you can get totally yeah. <laughs> distracted there. I love it myself. It's great. Exactly. So there's that Hacker News for a bit mm -hmm. more technical deep dives. Um, but there's a lot of things I really don't understand in there as well. It's sometimes <laughs> too technical, but it's super interesting. Podcasts. I haven't listened to too many. One that has stuck out was how I built this. Oh, guy, um, which Raz, isn't... isn't it? Or yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I, it's not technical. I would say, but I mean, you hear about the founding stories of lots of apps or websites, but I really like the ones where they talk about apps and sometimes they do kind of touch on the technical side where it's pretty interesting to hear that because as a developer, you could kind of relate to some of the challenges they might be facing. But yeah, other than that, I think the another great re resource is Twitter, following interesting people or people that you find interesting. Um, I know for myself, I would follow a lot of people that would work on kind of interaction design which I found really cool and how they would kind of completely reshape an app just by changing the way it looks and feels and all of that. Um, and of course, people that are kind of indie developers building apps on their own and trying to make a living out of it. Uh, that's always been super inspiring. So those are definitely the main mediums that I use to, to keep up to date, learn new things and get inspired to build apps. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. And you built this originally in React Native. Are, is the, are you still a React Native developer? Have you looked at, say, Kotlin multi-platform or any of the other languages that are now out there since? Yeah, so definitely still a React Native developer. Initially, I came from web, so it was a really easy transition to um, React Native. In that time, though, and definitely with my work at Shopify for my full-time job, I've spent time in Kotlin and uh, Swift. So I have had the chance to kind of dip my toes in there and learn a bit of the native side, which as a result has helped me become a better React Native developer. Okay. So I would definitely recommend as well for all React Native developers try to build some sort of native module. That was something that helped me a ton to understand how everything actually works and is connected. Uh, because sometimes, or I know at least for myself when starting with React Native, kind of felt like a black box where it's kind of magic that happens behind the scene. Um, and somehow it now runs on Android and iOS. 
but yeah, I guess overall, definitely still a React Native developer and still enjoying it. And it's great to see the, kind of the whole community at Realm and or MongoDB and uh, and React Native as a whole, mm-hmm. especially with Expo, just everything moving forward and tools becoming easier to use, documentation becoming better, and more and more developers being being onboarded to the technology. You know, we, we tend to think of, of mobile as a two-horse race. It's, you know, iPhone and Android, but the ecosystem for mobile developers is huge and quite varied. And you can approach it, as you said, from the native perspective. Even And even there, we, we started off with Objective-C and then moved to Swift and we've Swift UI, which is a, an easier way in for some developers now. And then we Java and now we've Kotlin and now we've got Kotlin multi-platform mobile as well too so i think there's lots of options and it used to be the case that you were had to go native if you wanted access to the device features itself but now with a lot of these platforms and and tools uh, that's no longer the case so you're no longer a second class citizen as it were by doing that and and you can benefit reap the rewards as you said you built it in react native essentially you had an Android app, it just didn't get up to the to the Play Store, which I think is is invaluable. Particularly, it's for something that you've done on your own and from scratch as well. Too is there anything else before we wrap up, Matt? And this has been super enlightening conversation, and thank you so much for your time that you'd like to share with the audience. Perhaps the call again for anyone that wants to join you, and again your YouTube channel and. Do I, I just search the app store for, for Bookshelf and, and find your app there as well too? Yeah, so to find the app, you can definitely search on the app store. It should come up as one of the results on the first page or second page. But anyways, if you can't find it from there, I think in the show notes, there's going to be a link yes, to it. Yeah, so we'll drop that uh, in. check mm-hmm. that out. Otherwise, feel free to check out my Twitter. So that's at Made With Matt. YouTube channel, same thing, at Made With Matt, um, where I've Used to post lots of educational content to get started with some basic notions of React Native, specifically when it comes to designing and front-end heavy work. Um, And yeah, if anyone's interested in working on Bookshelf or has some ideas, I would be more than happy to hear them and start that conversation. So definitely reach out. Excellent. Well, look, it's been a pleasure to chat with you. I wish you all the success in the day job and well done. Bookshelf wouldn't exist if it wasn't for that second interview uh, for your Shopify role. So that that's great. I think the community is much better off for it. It's been a pleasure to chat to you and we look forward to see maybe what you might create in the future. And if this call out for the community works, uh, we'll certainly keep an eye on Bookshelf app and see how it goes. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. This was lots of fun. A great conversation with Matt. It's amazing that he managed to squeeze all of that learning into one week and that tenacity and drive he had landed him his first full-time developer role. Absolutely superb. The links we mentioned in the show to the Bookshelf app and to Matt's YouTube channel, Made With Matt, are in the show notes, so do check those out. So that's the end of another episode. Thank you, as ever, for joining us. And please do leave us a rating and even a review on whatever podcast platform you use. We do very much appreciate it. And if you've any comments for us or feedback, for example, what did you think of the new weekly update section, please do reach out via email at podcast at mongodb.com. We'd love to hear from you. So for me, Shane McAllister, and the rest of the podcast team, do take care and thanks for listening.